Alrighty, well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open it up with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning, and we're going to be talking about the new birth. Now, the, maybe it sounds uh, quite confusing uh, for you when you talk about the new birth. What do you mean? Well, I've already been born. Well, that's exactly the question that Nicodemus had. That's exactly the thought that went through his mind is, how can I be born a second time? And so we're going to answer that question and a few more as well as we get into John chapter 3. And we're going to start in verse 1. The Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 1, it says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Tonight we're going to talk about the new birth this morning. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time once more, and then we're going to get into uh, our message time this morning. Let's pray. Dear Holy Father, thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you for this time you've given us. Father, I thank you once again that we have time to open up your Bible, open up the Scripture, the Word of God, that we can... Uh, look into it, and we can look at it as uh, the book of James says, like a, a mirror or a glass that shows us for who we truly are and helps us to grow to be uh, not just better people, but grow to be better Christians, grow to be more like our Creator, more like you. And Father, I do pray that you would help us today, that you would give us what we need, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, speak to those who are here, also speak to my heart and give me what I need as well. Lord, I, I pray that we would truly look at you like Nicodemus does here at the end of his time talking to Jesus. And that we would see you as who you truly are. And that you truly want belief. And Father, I do pray that you would help us today. Give us what you need, what we need. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 3, we see that John is writing here, and he's talking about events that happened uh, during the time of Jesus' life. This is early in Jesus' ministry, and the Pharisees, uh, the religious uh, body, the rulers, those who are overseeing the, uh, the, 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 uh, the rituals and the traditions and the temple, and uh, they, they, they are the ones who you go to when you need to uh, have sacrifices done. And uh, the high priests who, who are part of this group as well. And uh, we see that these men are uh, trying to figure out who Jesus is, as most people were. Jesus came in on the scene, and he's only about 30 years old, and he's starting his ministry. And uh, we see that not too many people know who he is. This is the time of them trying to figure it out. John the Baptist had been on the scene, and he had talked about this one, this lamb who's going to come and take away the sin of the world, and uh, he claims that Jesus is that one who is going to come and take away the sins of the world. And here in John chapter 3, we see a man coming to Jesus by night. He came to Jesus by night because he was a Pharisee. I want us to first see uh, this morning, I want us to see the introduction to the conversation. I want us to understand exactly what is going on here and who the people are in this conversation. Because it's a very interesting conversation between this first person that we're going to see, Nicodemus, 
And the second person we're going to talk about who is Jesus. First, we see it's Nicodemus who is the first person. He's the one who initiates this conversation. He's the one who comes to Jesus. But we see that he is a Pharisee, the Bible tells us. It says in verse 1, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now, we're going to get to that last phrase here in just a minute. But he was a Pharisee. He was one who held up the law. He was one, as I had said just a moment ago, that people would come to and help uh, have, they wanted them to uh, interpret the law and to help them to understand what the law was saying so that they could live their lives in accordance with the law. But not only that, but these Pharisees would go to the nth degree of the law and they made it to where there was so many uh, chains and these people were in bondage, almost like they were uh, once before in Egypt and they were bound by the law and there was no help, there was no hope, there was no uh, doing better uh, truthfully because there was always something else that you could do uh, to better yourself in the law because they always added things to the law. It seems like there was uh, many things, uh, dime after time, year after year, being added to the law extra so that they could uh, hold the people in bondage and they could hold the power over them. Uh, we see that even in the temple when Jesus goes in and uh, throws over the tables. Uh, we're not going to get into the, uh, that in detail, but he goes and he throws over the tables in the temple and he says, this is not to be a house of dens or thieves because this is supposed to be a house of prayer. And what were they doing in there? Well, they were selling things like animals so that they could uh, be purchased to go and uh, give a sacrifice in the temple. And what's wrong with that? Well, truthfully, if they were trying to be a help to the people who were traveling afar and uh, weren't able to bring their animals from that far, it wouldn't have been really a big deal. It would have been a help, but they were charging them an extra arm and a leg, if you would say, for those lambs. For the, the sheep that were going to be uh, sold there, they were charging an exorbitant amount of money so that they, they could make money on top of these people who they knew were going to come and knew were going to be sacrificing and knew were not going to be able to transport their animals this far. They took advantage of them. The Pharisees were not a group of people who were truly trying to follow righteousness, but they were concerned about the outward appearance. They were concerned about how they looked among others. They were concerned with not their heart. Nicodemus was one of these men. But not only was he a Pharisee, but we also see, secondly, underneath Nicodemus' name, we see that he was a ruler of the Jews. Now, this is indicative of somebody who would have been a part of what was called the Sanhedrin. He was a ruler of the Jews. It also goes on to say here in verse 10 of John chapter 3, it says, Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? He was a Pharisee. He was a teacher. He was one of the Sanhedrin, uh, which was a group of men of 70 uh, who would have uh, been kind of like the supreme court of the Jewish people in that day. Uh, they uh, were the ones who made the ultimate rule. They were the ones who uh, made the ultimate decisions. And these group of men uh, were also those who were the teachers of the law. 
Just like we see uh, the Bible talk about the scribes and the Pharisees in connection. The scribes were the lawyers or the ones who helped also interpret the law, but the Pharisees were the ones who also made sure that the law happened. They kind of made sure that the people were following the law. And this man was a ruler of the Jews. He was part of that Sanhedrin. He was part of that group of 70 men who would have been making sure that everybody was doing what they were supposed to and that nobody uh, came in and tried to take away the power that the Pharisees and the Jewish people had over the normal Jewish citizens. We see that there is a reason, though, that Nicodemus, thirdly, came by night. He didn't want to be seen by the Jewish people. He didn't want to be seen by the Pharisees. He didn't want to be seen by those who were looking at Jesus and saying, we need to get rid of this man because of the power that he is going to have over the people, because of the people following him, because of the people trying to go uh, his direction and listen to what he is saying rather than what the Pharisees are saying. And they were concerned uh, that the power that they had over these Jewish people, they were concerned that it was going to be gone because of this man named Jesus. And Nicodemus was scared of his fellow Pharisees. That's the only reason he would have come to Jesus by night. We see here in verse 1, it says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus has some stirring in his heart going on. Nicodemus is a man who is questioning things inside. You know, there's times where somebody asks you a question, and you're not necessarily sure the answer. So rather than say something out loud and look silly, you either agree with them, you don't say anything at all, but deep down inside you're thinking, man, I wish I knew more. Is it really true? Is really what is happening here from God? This is not a man who comes to Jesus and asks this question, and tells him that the things that he is doing is only done because of the power of God, this is not somebody who's going to come who's a Pharisee the first time that he meets Jesus. The Bible doesn't make it super clear, but no doubt he was thinking about it in his mind and in his heart before this. Maybe he mentioned it to his wife. Maybe he mentioned it to others who were close to him. But he came to Jesus and he says, Jesus, Rabbi, you are a teacher come from God. Is, it's evident that something was different about Jesus. It was evident that something was different uh, from the Pharisees that uh, Nicodemus had always been with and Jesus. The authority that Jesus spoke with was not the authority that the Pharisees spoke with. 
Uh, we see that even when J- Jesus was, was 12, uh, we don't have a whole lot about the uh, middle years of Jesus' life. It ends when he is 12, and then it kind of picks up again uh, when he is 30. Uh, but we see that when he is 12, his parents and he are in Jerusalem, and he's in the temple, and he's talking to the Pharisees and those around, and they say that he spoke as one, as one having authority. Why? Because as John says in the beginning of this gospel, John chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in John 1.14, it tells us that that Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That Word is speaking about Jesus Christ. He is the Word of God incarnate, made flesh, dwelling among men. He is one that does these signs that are undeniably from God. Now, I don't know that Nicodemus fully understood that Jesus was God and is God at that moment, but he knew that what he did was from God and with the authority of God, and what he did was different than the Pharisees The second person of this conversation we see is Jesus. We kind of read it here just a minute ago a couple times, so I'm not going to read it again, but he was doing some unexplainable signs. The things that Jesus was doing were unexplainable except that they were from God, which is why Nicodemus says, we can tell that what you're doing is a sign from God. It is from the authority of God. It is from God himself. We see that Jesus, that went a little too far apparently, is not only from God, but he is God. Verse 3, it says, Jesus answered and said unto him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born again? When he is old, can he enter a second time then into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say unto you, ye must be born again. We see here that Jesus is either God or he's a teacher from God. He cannot be both. And I say that because either Jesus is God or he is a liar and a lunatic and therefore not going to be a teacher from God. Because we see that in the gospel, Jesus himself claims to be God himself. And so Nicodemus was trying to sort this out. He's thinking, well, maybe he's just a teacher from God. But truthfully, if you listen to Jesus and you listen uh, to what he says and how he says that he and the Father are one and that there is none different because he is God, just like the Father in heaven is God himself as well, uh, we see that he cannot be a teacher from God. He can either be God himself because of the claims that he makes or he is a liar or a lunatic. But as we talked about just 
a week ago with Easter, Jesus and his resurrection is one evidence that he was God himself. He was God incarnate and is God today. He is not just a teacher from God. We also see, lastly underneath here, the new birth. Jesus talks now in verses 3 through 7 about how one must be born again. And Nicodemus has this uh, question uh, from, uh, to, to Jesus that he verbalizes and he's confused about this proposition that Jesus gives that ye must be born again. It is a command. It is something that needs to happen, he says, in order to see the kingdom of God. Now Nicodemus wanted to see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus wanted to see God's kingdom on earth come the second time and set up his throne and wanted to see the Messiah save them from the oppression that they were under. They believed that the Messiah was coming. He was confused about this proposition that Jesus said, ye must be born again. That'd be like one of my children going and being born again from their mother. They were born once. I was there at every single one of those births. They were already born of the water or of the flesh. But Jesus is saying not that you must go back into your mother's womb and be born a second time, as that is impossible. That cannot happen. But he is saying you must be born of the Spirit, and that is something that is confusing Nicodemus. What does it mean to be born again? What does it mean to be born of the flesh? What does it mean to have the new birth? Well, that is where we're going to get to number two, the new birth explained. The new birth explained. The Bible says in verse 8, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. It's not something that is physical. It's not something that you can see. It's not something that is going to be seen. The new birth is not visible. The new birth is like the wind. You see the evidence of the new birth. The wind out there is blowing, especially as you're on the lake and you, and you can feel the wind blowing and the breeze coming off of the lake. You don't see the wind. It's invisible. It's not physical. It's not able to be seen. But you see the evidence of the wind. When something is blown over or the, the blinds blow back and forth as you get to spring winds, maybe a sailboat out of the lake, uh, the, the mass and the, uh, the, the, the sail, it, it, it blows taut and tight so that way it can blow the ship and you see the ship moving or you see the waves uh, making uh, crashing noises against the, the shore. It's because of the wind, but it's not something that you see. It's the evidence of the wind that you see. The new birth is just like that, as Jesus says here. The wind blows and you don't see it, but you see the evidence of it. The new birth, you don't see it physically happen, but you do see the evidence physically of the new birth. 
And part of that is the fruit of the Spirit. The Bible tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, faith, meekness. We see that the evidence of the new birth is going to bring out this fruit of the Spirit as the Spirit works in your life. But it's not this physical thing that mankind likes to see. We like to see a physical manifestation. The only physical manifestation you're going to see of the new birth is evidence that somebody has that new birth. Verse 9, it says, Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? It doesn't make sense. How can this be that this new birth cannot be seen? Verse 10, Jesus answered and said unto him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify and uh, what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. This Son of Man is speaking to about the Son of Man in the uh, book of Daniel. Talking about the one who is going to come, the Messiah, the Christ, that Son of Man. And he's saying, I've told you these things about earthly things and you do not believe. If I tell you these earthly things, these things that you do not believe that I can show you physically, how will you not believe? Also, if I tell you of heavenly things. Verse 13, no one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven. Verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Secondly, the new birth comes from God. This new birth is something that comes from heaven. It's something that comes from God himself. Only God can make the new birth happen in your life. So what do we have to do? We'll get to that in just a minute. Because the new birth does belong to something that we have to do. Not by works of righteousness, but there is something that must happen in our lives in order for this new birth to take place. And it starts with verse 14. It says, And as Moses was lifted up of the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. That's speaking to what happened in the Old Testament when the Jewish people were being bitten by snakes. They had disobeyed God and they didn't believe him. They didn't have faith in him. They didn't follow him. They didn't trust him and trust his plan. And they, dis, uh, they had disbelief in him. They didn't uh, just follow him with their heart and understanding that he knows uh, what is best. And these serpents came and would bite them. And they had this poison inside and they would die if they did not do this one thing. What was that one thing that they had to do? Well, as Moses lifted up this serpent, there was this uh, brass serpent that was made, and they lifted it up. And as they looked to the serpent that was lifted up, their lives would be saved. Sounds silly, doesn't it? It sounds like, how is that serpent going to help me? How is that serpent going to save me when I was just bitten by some poison? It happened from God 
But it happened because of their belief, because of their faith. As they looked up to that serpent and their faith in what God could do for their lives to save them, they were saved from the poison of that snake. The new birth hinges on belief. The new birth hinges on your belief. It says here, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so even must the Son of Man be lifted up. Verse 15, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he, belie- he who, belie- who does not believe excuse me, is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and mon- men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. We see that it hinges on your belief. Jesus Christ was lifted up on that cross He was nailed to it, and his blood was shed. But as those uh, Israelites uh, looked up to that serpent, we too must look up to the cross of Jesus Christ and believe that he died for our sins. The Bible tells us in one of the most uh, famous verses that you could see around this country and probably around this world is John chapter 3 and verse 16. In this conversation with the man Nicodemus, this Pharisee, who thought that he could do it himself until he met Jesus. A man who thought that he had it all together until he met Jesus. A man who thought that he could do no wrong in getting to heaven and getting into the kingdom of God and being with God and having a privilege from God to serve God and to witness for God until he met Jesus. And he understands As Jesus tells him in John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world. That word so, it's talking about in this manner. God loved the world in this manner that he gave his son for us. That he gave his son for the world. His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, should not die, should not have that second death, but shall have everlasting life. Everlasting life lives, is, is forever. Everlasting life never ends. Everlasting life is something that cannot be taken away as it is a gift of God. The Bible tells, it, tells us that it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There is nothing that we can do uh, in our works to get to heaven. There is nothing that we can do within ourselves to please God and to satisfy the payment of our sin that the Bible says we deserve, which is death, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, the free gift of God is eternal life, How? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. But what do we need in our lives in order to accept that gift? 
It is faith. What is faith? Faith is not having no doubts at all, but faith is having more faith, more trust than your doubts. You know, I do have a, a smidgen of doubt that if I sit in every single one of these chairs, that one of these chairs may fail. Now it is my experience that more than likely most of these chairs are going to hold me up. But do you understand that there is a chance that these chairs will fail? But my faith is stronger than that doubt. My trust in these chairs are stronger because of the experience that I had with sitting in thousands of chairs in my lifetime. You see, our faith can be stronger than our doubt because of the character of God. Because of the character of who Jesus is. Because of understanding that Jesus has not and will not and never did fail anybody or lie to anybody. God throughout history has never failed. Everything that he has said would happen, happened. So everything that he says will happen, we can rest assured that it will happen. You know, I often say that when I'm training somebody at work, that until they show me a reason to not trust them, I'm going to trust that they're going to do what they say they're going to do. And no doubt most of us would be the same way. We're training somebody and we say, well, I'm going to trust them until they give me a reason not to. I'm going to believe them until they give me a reason not to. I'm going to uh, understand that they know what they're doing until they give me a reason to not believe that they don't know what they're doing. But I feel like the world doesn't do that with God. I feel like we don't do that with God. We say, God, I don't believe that you're going to hold up to your end of the bargain, even though we have no evidence that he has ever failed humankind. That we don't have any evidence that he's ever failed who we are and what we're supposed to be doing. His character, who he is, holy, just, loving, righteous, faithful. We sang a song a little earlier about how he will hold me fast. He is faithful every single time to be there for us. When our faith may, our faith may fail, we know that he will not. The Bible tells us in First John, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Nicodemus had seen his religion fail time and time again because the people that he followed and those that he looked to were human and had failures and had faults. But he looked to this man, Jesus, and he saw that there was something different. And this new birth that Jesus was talking about, he's saying it needs to hinge on your belief. Your belief on what? Belief that you are condemned already. Jesus did not come into this world to condemn. 
Jesus did not come into this world but to save. We are already condemned because of our sin. We are already condemned because of the evil deeds that come out of our lives. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are sinners. The Bible says there is none righteous. No, not one. We are condemned already. Belief that God gave us his son. It hinges on your belief that we are condemned already. It hinges on your belief that God gave us his son so that we could have eternal life. It hinges on that your belief in the son brings eternal life. Your belief in that Jesus dying on the cross and shedding his blood, as the Bible tells us, there's no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. That Jesus is spotless life. He came and he went on that cross and he shed that blood so that you and I could have that eternal life. Do you believe that you're a sinner? Do you believe that you cannot reach eternal life without the gift of God? Without God giving us his son? As the wages of sin is death, and Jesus died that death so that we could have eternal life. This new birth is something that comes from above. This new birth is something that comes because of Jesus' death on the cross. This new birth is something that comes because of our belief that Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Jesus took away our sin. But that doesn't mean, though, that everybody's going to go to heaven. It doesn't mean that everybody's going to have a part in the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean that everybody is going to be able to sing praises to God. Why? Because it hinges on our belief, our faith. As simple as sitting in your chair this morning, you trusted that that chair would hold you. You had faith that that chair would keep you safe in that seated position. That's the faith that God is looking for us to put in his son and to ask and to receive eternal life. That is something that can happen today. That is something that you can ask Jesus to save you from today is your sin. And as I said a minute ago, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now we see that Nicodemus did that because as we spoke last week in John chapter 20, at the end of that chapter and Jesus is now dead, we see that Nicodemus is one of those men who take him off the cross, unashamed, and help stick him in a tomb. Nicodemus is a follower of Jesus at the end of the book of John. 
And it starts here with his new birth, with his belief in Jesus paying for his sin. Let's pray. Dearly Father, thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you for this time you've given us. I do pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand that you want us to be able to have that new birth. You want us to be able to experience that new birth in Christ because of our belief. With all heads and eyes closed, they'll be looking around. I have a couple questions for you. Do you have a relationship with Jesus today? If you were to die today, do you know for sure that you would be on your way to heaven? You know, the Bible tells us that we can know that. And there's just a couple things I wanted to share with you as we end today. We see in the book of Genesis that God created and designed a world that was perfect. And he put in that perfect garden two people called Adam and Eve. And they were in a state of innocence of not understanding sin. Until one day when they were fooled by a serpent, Eve took of that fruit and she ate of it and sinned. The fruit that God said of that tree you may not eat, but of every other tree in this garden you may freely eat. Adam, who had gotten that command from God himself, then took of his wife's fruit and ate of it himself. And from that day forward, all mankind is now in debt because of our sin. God, in his mercy and grace, kicked them out of the garden so they would not live in that state forever. But he gave them a promise in Genesis chapter 3 that there would be one who would come and that he, he, would, he would kill the serpent who was there and deceived Eve that day. And sin would be dealt with. There would be a remedy. Because the Bible tells us that we cannot do it on our own. It is not by my works, not by my righteousness, not by anything that I've done that we can have eternal life. But it's because of Jesus Christ. And all he says is that you must trust in him. Put your faith in what Jesus did on the cross to pay for your sin. And that if you ask him to forgive you of your sin, he promises that he will give you a home in heaven. And one day, all of that will come full circle for all of us who have trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior. And God's design will come back into perfection once again in the new heaven and the new earth. You don't have to worry about anything that I said that's to come. The only thing you need to make sure today is that you put your faith in Jesus Christ so that you can start your relationship with him so that you can have a home in heaven. If that's something that you have never done, I want to encourage you to do that today. Talk with us after the service. We would love for you to put your faith in Jesus today. Father, we thank you once again for this time. I thank you for John chapter 3 and helping us to understand how we can have eternal life, how we can have the new birth. Lord, I pray that there's somebody here who's listening to this today that they would put their faith in Jesus. 
that you would allow us to talk to them, that you would allow us to be able to help them. And Lord, that you would get all the honor and glory through it. We thank you for what you're going to do with the rest of the day we have as we enjoy this beautiful weather that we have this spring day. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the New Life Vermont podcast. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And you can help us out by liking, sharing, commenting, and subscribing about every episode that you find helpful. Also, don't forget to check us out on our website at newlifecv.org. And if you have any questions that you would like to submit uh, for future episodes, you can submit those to our Facebook uh, direct message, or you can go to our email, which is newlifevapcv at gmail.com.